Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. What do you love about music? To begin with? Everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, it's time to catch up with a bunch of new albums out this spring, including records from Iceland's Bjork and Toronto's Feist. Plus the second album by British chart toppers The Arctic Monkeys and the latest from musical treasure Mavis Staples. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm sorry to words I always think after you're gone when I realize I was acting all wrong so selfish to words that could describe oh actions of mine when patience isn't sure That is Feist with a track called So Sorry from her new album, The Reminder, second major label release. Leslie Feist, Toronto-based artist, now living in Paris uh, for the last few years. Exotic location that sort of fits the insinuating balladeer that she has become, (laughs) which is quite a transformation, Jim, because uh, we had her in the studio here in the midst of that two-and-a-half-year tour after her last album, Let It Die, and uh, she was touring on this huge hit, Mushaboom that was percolating from every coffee house in America, it seemed like. Helping the kids out of their coats The way the babies have been born oh, 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 oh. Unpacking the bags and setting up And planted lilacs and buttercups oh, 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 oh. She had uh, transformed herself into this balladeer Previously had been in the indie rock band Broken Social Scene. She had played guitar in a Toronto rock band, and she had toured with Peaches, uh, who is not exactly a, uh, a soft rocker in any stretch of the imagination. Scatological electronic artist who was her roommate, Leslie Feist, would, would manipulate an X-rated sock puppet, and she would call herself <laughs> Bitch Lap Lap in that context. So she was anything but on Let It Die, a very ballad-heavy record steeped in bossa nova and cabaret, and which she, the, the focus was her beautiful singing voice and these nice insinuating ballads. Uh, she's followed up with the reminder, recorded basically at her house in Paris, in her pajamas, she says, yeah. <laughs> with her band. And let's hear one of the more up-tempo tracks from it. It's called I Feel It All from Feist on Sound Opinions.
That is I Feel It All from the third album by Leslie Feist, The Reminder, her second big major label release. Greg, sometimes you can know too much about music, and it can work against you. You know, knowing what Peaches and Feist did together with the collaborator Chili Gonzalez, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Jason Beck, these were artistes, right? These were subversive (laughs) underground artists. And knowing that Feist came from that world and from the punk rock underground up in Canada, I have a very hard time accepting her, remaking herself as a cross between Chardet and Nina Simone. I don't like cabaret music to begin with, but <laughs> but when it's done well, I mean, it, it can be great, obviously. So, so to try to remove myself from the context of suspecting that this whole thing is a cash-in kind of art project, you know, let's see if we can infiltrate the mainstream kind of move by Gonzalez, who produces this record and works on it throughout with Feist. I put Nina Simone, Chardet, and Feist in my uh, three-CD player and put it on alternative play, you know, so it was skipping around between the three. And I got to say, Feist sucks in comparison to <laughs> Nina Simone or Chardet or any number of other Burt Bacharach. I mean, you know, whether you're talking about her doing a bossa nova, whether you're talking about her doing a kind of an up-tempo pop song like we just heard, I Feel It All, or the soul number she does on this one, My Moon, My Man. My moon, my man, so changeable and such a lovable to me. My moon's my face, my Take it slow, take it easy on me. She's alright, she's alright on me, please. Take it slow, take it easy on me. She's alright, she's alright on me, please. I just don't buy it. I don't hear soul in there. I don't hear cool and sexy in in the bossa nova stuff. I don't hear sultry and bohemian in the cabaret. I just don't hear it. I don't buy it. I know she was here. You, you were all over her. You know, I said, okay, fine. Wait a she can I would, come. <laughs> in the sense of adoring her a figurative uh, sense. singing Mushaboom yeah. for us. But I'm, I'm not buying Feist. And she'll never come back on the show now. On our buy it, burn it, trash it scale, which is going to get a lot of use on this record review show, she's a trash it. I don't, I don't want any Leslie Feist in my life. Well, it's interesting you bring up Nina Simone because she does cover a song associated with uh, Nina Simone. It was she does. A, it was a hit... Uh, you know, one of those hits in concert, people would wait for it. Uh, sea Line Woman. Sea Line Woman, she loved, she drank coffee, she loved, she drank tea, she loved, and was to grow, she loved. 
If Leslie was here, I would say to her, Leslie, I have heard Nina Simone, and you are no Nina Simone. Yeah, she's got a beautiful voice, but I, I think that where this record falls down is the songwriting. Frankly, the ballads do blur together. Uh, a pretty voice, is the, that's all it is, unless it's got some melodies uh, to go with it, some strong songwriting to go with it. As a songwriter, she's not even as good as Chardet. You mentioned Chardet, no, and I think no, she's Chardet's a very she. underrated songwriter. And she's a great uh, singer. And I don't, when, yeah. you know, all Leslie Feist is doing is kind of holding her breath in front of the microphone. I'm yeah. not buying that she's a great voice. You're buying that? I'll even go further that the last Nora Jones record had more edge on it than this one. Uh, yeah, uh, which ain't saying much. Nora Jones engaged some, some topics in a very interesting way, even though the production values were very laid back and this is a very laid back record yeah they recorded it in their pajamas it sounded like it <laughs> next time I say Feist put some clothes on and, and and make a record like you're capable of making because we've heard you with Broken Social Scene uh, we saw you on tour with Peaches bring some of that forceful personality to the fore here and stop playing this cabaret chanteuse it's a burn it for me Greg, what we are hearing is a track from the first full album by a New York quartet called Battles. The album is called Mirrored. The song is called Atlas. And no, you don't have to adjust your speakers. That is what sounds like a chorus of munchkins who've sucked up some helium and may or may not be tripping on psychedelic drugs. Uh, What a strange record from a strange group. Mirrored is their first full album after a couple of EPs which have been getting some notice in the underground since 2004. Who are these guys? A couple of New York musicians. Most of the bands that they've come from probably aren't familiar to the great many listeners because, Greg, you and I didn't even know who they were. (laughs) Lynx was one of the bands that the guitarist came from. Don Caballero, we've heard of. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the guitarists comes from that group. Drummer John Stanier, and I think it's really about the drums, this record, played in Helmet and Tomahawk. But uh, four musicians who've who've had some underground pedigree come together and make this record. Uh, They make a point in interviews of saying, we are not an instrumental band any more than we are a rock and roll band without a lead singer. That, that That's sort of true, although there is no singing on this record per se. It's all of this uh, weird kind of cartoon soundtrack vocalizing. It makes me think a lot of Carl Stallings' famous compositions for the Warner Brothers cartoons. Th- these are little miniature movies that are played in your head. Math rock is, is the name of the genre that most of these musicians come from. It was the fancy kind of underground term uh, of late for progressive rock. There are deep roots in the progressive rock sounds of the 70s. I think you're going to hear that in this track I'm going to play now. It's called Tonto. I heard this song, and I immediately thought of Tonto's Exploding Headband, which was a (laughs) 70s group that used all Moog synthesizers back in the days when the early Moogs were the size of a refrigerator. I I don't know if that's what they were thinking. Maybe maybe they were thinking of the Lone Ranger sidekick. You you don't know what they're thinking of on any of these tracks. That's part of the charm. 
Here's the song Tonto by the uh, New York Quartet Battles on the album Mirrored on Sound Opinions. That is the track Tonto from Battles, their debut album called Mirrored. Jim, you mentioned the vocals on this record. Definitely not conventional vocals. <laughs> uh, in fact, there's not one conventional sung song on the entire record, even though there was a vocalist on virtually every song. The name of the vocalist is uh, Tundi Braxton. You think, Braxton, where have I heard that name before? Well, you, yes, you have. He is the son of avant-garde jazz saxophonist and composer Anthony Braxton. Mm. Uh, and he's been doing solo shows in the past where he's used his voice as as another instrument, just as he does in battles. Intriguing, I think, subtext of this whole record is that his voice carries these melodies along, even though these songs themselves, the arrangements are very dense. There's some moments, Jim, that I have, I'm having 1970s progressive rock flashbacks. There's a lot of the that songs here, of yeah. Yes mm-hmm. and King Crimson, mm-hmm. and at the same time, very contemporary with the way everything is filtered through this electronic distortion, that rhythms are very dense and complicated. Stanier is an amazing drummer, as anybody who might have seen him in Helmet or Tomahawk can attest. But again, I think it comes down to Braxton singing these really intriguing off-kilter melodies. He's whistling, he's chirping, he's sighing, he's grunting, uh, humming. He's turning all of these little vocal effects distorted into hooks. And you know what it reminds me of? 
that space age bachelor pad playfulness <laughs> yeah, of yeah. Escavel records from yeah. the late 50s, early 60s, where people were using these records to sort of test out their stereos and going, ooh, look at that sound, and listen, listen to how that sounds. Uh, uh, he's sort of playful I'm gonna... in a way that's making this math rock, very right. dense and forbidding rock. No- normally, I hate this kind of music. It's, it's like... It's a cerebral to the point of, well, the only people who could really enjoy this are musicians who can play this sort yeah, of stuff it, really it well. Be, that, that's what the indie rock underground called uh, essentially a new take on progressive rock, math rock. Mm-hmm. Math rock because you needed to take out your calculator to figure <laughs> out some of the time signatures. It was often very dense and joyless and, and not catchy, not melodic. And, and this uh, is none of those things. I'm going to climb even further out on the limb. It's, it's I, I mentioned it, Carl Stalling soundtrack music yeah. from Warner Brothers before, but you know, uh, Terence McKenna, the great psychedelic philosopher guru, would write about when you take psychedelic drugs, you know, and you have this profound trip journey to the other side. You meet the elves who <laughs> run the machines that control the universe. Tundi Brexton's running with the elves. Th- those are the elves. That's what the elves sound like. I'm convinced. I, you know, wow, what a record. Um, you know, there's no denying that that laptop technology. Technology has changed the way music is made. And I think we're going to talk about two other records on this show that, that reflect that as well, by LP and by Bjork. And and this is this is one that I'm all over. I mean, you know, I don't think this record could have been made without computers, and yet it still is very, very human. The challenge for musicians, I think, in the last 10 years as recording technology has become, uh, you know, taken to a new level, is is how do we use these machines but make music that, that is still human? And this is a great, human, fun, silly, wonderful uh, schizophrenic soundtrack record, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I love it. On the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, mirrored by battles is definitely a buy it for me. Yeah, it's a buy it as well. I think you you nailed it. Human dimension to very what otherwise very cold cerebral kind of music, and, and it's really cool the way they do it. On Sound Opinions, Jim DeRogatis and myself, Greg Cott, we are not the only critics here. There's a lot Hmm. of critics out there in that listening audience. We're sure you're dying to get your two cents in on this, and please do. Email us at interact at soundopinions.org, or better yet, give us a call at 1-888-859-1800. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, more of our big spring release record review roundup. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Mavis Staples' latest, and later on in the show, Bjork. listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Trying. Trying. 
that is the second album, first single from the second album, Brian Storm from the Arctic Monkeys, the Young British Quartet. The new one's called Favorite Worst Nightmare. These guys made a lot of news last year, at least in the UK, mm-hmm. Greg, where they uh, still to date hold the distinction of having the best-selling debut album in the history of the British pop charts. They tried the Great British Invasion of America, as so many before them have. didn't go so well. Their entire uh, U.S. sales for that debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not, uh, have yet to match the first week's sales in England. Everything they've sold in America has yet to match what they sold in the first week in, in the U.K. The Brits love these young fellows. And uh, with good reason. I think you and I both enjoyed uh, large stretches of the last album. And now comes the difficult encore. Uh, we've seen a lot of bands, it seems to me lately, uh, you know, especially in the genre of hipster-endorsed, dance floor-friendly, great white hopes of rock in the next big thing sweepstakes. Yeah. We've seen a lot of bands of a similar spirit. I'm thinking primarily of The Strokes and of Franz, Franz Ferdinand, Ferdinand yeah. who are on the same label, Domino Records, as Arctic Monkeys. They make a big splash, and the world's excited! And now comes the second album, and are they gonna, you know, go over the top? And they fizzle and nobody cares. It's really sad. Nobody cares about the Franz Ferdinand anymore or the strokes. And, you know, what's going to happen to Arctic Monkeys? These kids are young. They are in their early 20s. We'll hold our punches for the review section here. But have they pulled it off? That's the question. That's the question setting up this album. I'm going to play a track here that uh, I think is really interesting. And it's indicative of the record. It's called Fluorescent Adolescent by the Arctic Monkeys from Favorite Worst Nightmare. Adolescence from the second Arctic Monkeys record, Favorite Worst Nightmare. Jim, you mentioned the sophomore slump syndrome <laughs> that has affected so many bands. It's um, as old as rock and roll itself. A- absolutely. It's one of those, uh, how do you follow up the record that burns down the doors and, and creates a name for yourself? How can you possibly live up to that? 
I'm not sure that they have in the sense that I'm not sure that they're going to have any more success in the U.S. than they had on the first record. This is not the kind of record that's going to translate well in the U.S. You hear Alex Turner. This is a very smart young man, 21 years old. He is a very sharp lyricist, very much in the tradition of Paul Weller of the Jam and Ray Davies of the Kinks, Mm -hmm. a social observer of the First Order. Damon Albarn of Blur, I'll put him in that category as well. It's funny. I I mentioned all three names in my review when I wrote them up for the paper. He's just a smart guy, and you love listening to him observe what's going on with his peer group. He's a working-class kid from outside of unfashionable Sheffield, Mm -hmm. and and he's sort of chronicling their travails and, and doing it in a very witty, smart observational manner. Uh, he's writing short stories, not just not just songs, but these are short stories, cramming a lot of words into very tight spaces, very grudging with the choruses. He's not giving you those, those big, sweeping, melodic choruses. Fluorescent Adolescent is actually a rare exception on this record where there is kind of that big chorus, and you can see them doing this song very well in an arena. This band is terrific. Uh, Matt Helders is an amazing drummer. These songs are wrapped tighter than a drum, yeah. uh, very taut riffing, not a wasted note anywhere. There's like a dozen songs here, and it's all done in less than 38 minutes. I mean, it's a very tight, <laughs> precise, no played space. record. But again, they're very sparing in those sort of sing-along elements that uh, made Oasis maybe one of the few of the Britpop bands to actually translate to a U.S. audience. I think this is very much an English thing, and I think there's going to be some indie rock kids in the U.S. that are going to love it, but it's not going to translate to that wider audience that everybody seems to be predicting for them in the U.S. that they already have in England. As art critics, we're judging the art. I don't care whether it sells a million copies or a thousand. This is a great album. They do not vary the musical formula much from the first record, but I don't really need them to. I mean, that was part of the problem with the Strokes and Franz Ferdinand. They gave us a repeat. But when the rhythms are as energetic as what the Arctic Monkeys are giving us, when the melodies are as strong, you know, there aren't big anthemic courses, but there are strong melodies throughout these songs. I don't feel like I'm being slighted. And the depth of this guy's lyrics. I hate to sound like a traditional rock critic talking (laughs) about the words, but they're fun. And there is this tradition in Britain of the social observation. But it's not just let me make fun of the people around me. There's a depth of emotion. That song, Fluorescent Adolescent, you used to get it in your fishnets. Now you only get it in your nightdress. He's talking about a party girl, Paris Hilton at age 35 or 40, right? (laughs) But he turns the song around in the choruses and says, my love, uh, the dreams weren't as daft as they seemed. He's with her. Mm -hmm. He's gotten old too. He's no longer hip and young and pretty and the life of the party. Uh, The song Brian Storm is actually a take on one of these sleazy rock and roll guys who came up to him trying to say, now you, you guys must be having a lot of fun in bed now with the birds. You're shagging a lot of birds now that you're rock stars. And they're disgusted by this. They're disgusted by the sexism. And they're taking this guy apart in that song, mm-hmm. and, you know, just slicing and dicing. You do have to listen to the lyrics, you know, because that's part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy it, burn it, trash it. I got to say, I, I think these guys have avoided the sophomore slump, and they've given us a record that's every bit as good as the debut. I, I'm buying it. Don't look for singles as strong as I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, which was the standout track from the debut album. I don't think there's a single track on this record as strong as those singles from that first record. But you're right. It, it is a very, very strong record. It's the kind of record that I think is going to age very well. People are going to be able to look back on this record five years from now and not saying, oh, this was a flavor of the month trendy thing. This is a serious artist, uh, Alex Turner I'm talking about, the singer in the band, who's going to have a long career. And I think this is just start of good things for this band. Um, I, I, I agree with you. It's a buy it record. In the Mississippi River In the Mississippi River 
Mississippi rivers. Well, now you can count them one by one. It could be your and son. You can count them two by two. It could be me and or you. You can count them three by three. Now don't you want to see? You can count them four by four. Oh well, a hint to the river they go. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What you're hearing is the song In the Mississippi River from the new Mavis Staples record, We'll Never Turn Back. On that song, initially you heard the voices of the freedom singers with whom Mavis is collaborating on this record. That song is associated with the early 60s civil rights movement. What they're saying in that song, in the Mississippi River, well, you can count them one by one. It could be your son, and you could count them two by two. It could be me and you. They are talking about a very famous, infamous incident, actually, in Mississippi in the 60s when uh, three civil rights workers were missing for many days, and they were searching for the bodies in the Mississippi River. They had apparently been abducted and killed by the Ku Klux Klan for advancing civil rights in the South. And while they were searching the Mississippi, dredging the Mississippi for these bodies, they kept pulling up one African-American body after another. And that song chronicling that moment in the civil rights era, uh, one of the most powerful message songs of all time. Mavis is reprising it on this new record very intentionally. The record was suggested to her by the label president, Andy Calkin, who had just read a memoir by U.S. Representative John Lewis about the civil rights era, Walking with the Wind. And he said to Mavis Staples, um, maybe this is time to do another record along these lines, because Mavis, with her family, the Staples Singers and groups like the Freedom Singers, were basically providing a soundtrack for that era. The Staples Singers were Martin Luther King's favorite group. They were the group he anointed and said, bring my message forward to the people in song. And an inspiration to yeah, him. Yeah, totally. And Andy Culkin suggested to Mavis, now here, 40 years later, is it time to bring this back? And Mavis looked around and said, Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Richards using the N-word in a really offensive manner at a comedy club in Don Los Imus. Angeles. You know, the groom at the wedding in New York shot 50 times. Uh, by police on his wedding day. These sort of incidents of racial ugliness uh, throughout our country. And Mavis Staples turns around, she she says to Andy Culkin, you know what? Things really haven't changed. We sang for this change 40 years ago, and here we are back at square one. Maybe it's time to bring some of this music back because it's relevant as ever. Then part two of this was let's bring somebody in who understands Mavis better than just about anyone right now, especially now that her father, Pop Staples, is dead. Somebody who inherited the Pop Staples guitar style, Ry Cooter, who literally learned at the foot of Pop Staples. Ry Cooter channeling some of that guitar in this record. He brought in a stellar band, Ry Cooter on guitar, Jim Keltner on drums, Mike Elizondo on bass. They brought in the Freedom Singers, reunited them with Mavis for the first time in they four years. They brought in Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, the African Choral Group. Exactly. So she felt more comfortable in the studio, I think, than at any time in, in many years in a lot of ways. Let's play a track from the record. Let's give you evidence of what's going on here, this updating of this 60s civil rights sound for today. Here's a track called Turn Me Around where you could hear the interplay between Mavis and uh, Arai Cooter. It's on Sound Opinions, and it's from Mavis Staples' new record, We'll Never Turn Back.
Man, oh man, Great Mavis. Stuff. She's just a force of nature. You mentioned Hurricane Katrina as being an inspiration here. Mavis is stronger than Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> yeah. uh, no two ways about it. On that song, My Own Eyes, she sings. And this is the whole point of the record. We need a change now more than ever. Why are we still treated so bad? This record is as relevant as today's headlines, tomorrow's headlines, and it's vital. And the accompaniment is perfect. It lets her shine. Yet at the same time, it's a very organic band. I mean, this band ought to tour America. Ry Cooter is kind of a famous hermit. He doesn't like to play out live. Mm-hmm. He did, you know, a couple of shows with Mavis in New York. That's all there's going to be. It's no fair. It's no fair because Mavis is so underrated. The fact that she isn't considered up there with an Aretha Franklin or Diana Ross or something, you know, I mean, she should be bigger than both of those. All due respect to both of those stars. She is a national treasure. In 2004, she released a great solo album, the seventh of her career, uh, Have a Little Faith, completely ignored. Man, Mavis Staples ought to get eight Grammy nominations next year. She ought to have a, a platinum hit with this record, and America ought to recognize the fact that she is one of the greatest talents from soul, gospel, blues, and R&B that this country has ever produced. Well said, Mr. De Regattis. I could not agree more. This is the record of the year, folks. Album of the year. I'm going to say it right now. There's not. Yeah, a, it's only. It's only there will not, May. There will not be a better record that comes out this year. I mean, maybe at the end of the year, I'm going to change my tune. But right now. This is a one of the most moving, powerful documents I have ever heard. She is at the top of her game, 67 years old. She got in the studio. Most of these tracks were recorded first take live. She's improvising in the middle of these tracks. They are not just golden oldies, resurrected, oh, no. yeah. played word for word, note for note, exactly as they were recorded in the 60s. She is commenting on current events in these songs. She's channeling... You know, the name Pop Staples comes up a few times in these songs because, as Ry Cooter said, it felt like he was in the room with us as we were making this record. Extraordinary, extraordinary record. Buy it, buy it, buy it again, buy it for your friends, <laughs> buy it for mom and dad. Everybody buy it for needs Don to, Imus. <laughs> everybody needs to hear this record. I'll say buy it too. You're hearing a little bit more Mavis Staples. We cannot get enough Mavis Staples today. My Own Eyes, a track that Jim referenced from the uh, the new record. In a minute, we're going to be back on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to be reviewing the new albums from rapper LP and from Icelandic singer Bjork. I was just a little girl Traveling with my pops Thrown in jail for nothing by some southern racist cops Reverend Martin told us what needed to be done and if he can preach it we can sing it help to make the new day come we took the walk to D.C. my heart in the church I prayed on my child Fix that anger and hurt It's been almost 50 years How much longer would it last? We need a change now more than ever Why we're still treated so bad With my own eyes So with my own eyes 
You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. 80 blocks to uptown spot, destination local. Metro card like, you get what you pay for, stupid. No excuse. He pulled his hoodie off his cabbage, rugged practical. He began to fancy the words, I'm mistakenly jostled loose. The stogie he brazenly lit where he sit, looked legit. But when the flame touched on the tip, I could smell it to another nick. He leaned his head back and inhaled the newbie dip and said, The whole design got my mind crying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Ish. This is a sign of what you don't know, killing you. This is a sign of what you don't believe, still true. This is a sign of what you don't want, killing you. Tasmanian Pain Coaster, and doesn't that sound, don't all Tasmanian Pain Coasters sound just like that? Uh, that is from the new album by LP, I'll Sleep When You're Dead. LP, El Producto, otherwise known as Brooklyn rapper Jamie Moline. He is from the rap label Definitive Jux, which he founded. He is the uh, the main producer on the label. He's also a solo artist in his own right. This is his second solo record. Prior to that, he was in a hip-hop group called Company Flow which a lot of people credit with creating the genre known as independent hip-hop, independent rap. As rap was becoming more commercialized in the 90s, there was a movement that took place starting in New York with the group company Flow, which basically said hip-hop is losing sight of its original ideals. The idea of two turntables and a microphone Mm -hmm. is about flow, it's about rhymes, it's about wordplay, it's about banging beats. We've gotten all into this bling era. We've lost sight of the original artistic goals of hip-hop. And uh, Company Flow and LP were behind this movement of underground hip-hop artists bringing hip-hop back to its original ideals. Now we have LP with his second solo record, I'll Sleep When You're Dead. It's a record very much uh, loaded with guest stars. We've got people like the members of Mars Volta guesting on this record. We've We've got Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails on this record. We've got Cat Power on this record as well. So it, it's definitely not part of the commercial norm for hip-hop today, but uh, one of the most significant artists in the hip-hop underground. Let's hear what he's up to. Uh, Sleep When You're Dead is the name of the album, and the track we're going to play is called Habeas Corpses, Draconian Love on Sound Opinions. I found love on a prison ship. I found love on a prison ship. I found love on a prison Number two four seven six eight one Z. Step to the line. Two types of people in this world are recognized. Conquered in the one hold and the right for the next in line. The crosshair eyes, a vessel to guard. The container that kept you around in a hole in the yard. Sailor cemetery seas after crew leaves and move on. You have no idea how right my head is screwed on. When I wake up and put this suit on, I feel escape begin. Expirations are needed, I facilitate the end. There are two types of mornings in this life I can surmise. I wake early in the first to help supply the second side. Technician of repetition clips and the numbers of traditions hit. The little wondrous blunders that can summon one's demise. I know the line to walk talk softly, punch the clock ain't done. I see the shelter and contrition, best to limit wagging tongues. But today's a confrontation with a thought that's not assured. She said she's closer to my services and further from my world. Almost romantic, the leg giveth, I'm taking if I didn't understand. I'm saying during the tenure of it, 
gang. Have you ever heard of the Chris? Who, despite the trade of his label, makes you nervous as a kid? Maybe on a day when that is something else meant for a prisoner with the beauty of 247290. Oh, you gotta be joking. I get it. She's smoking. Go get a taste. I'll hold you down for 30. She must be purdy. You're open. Your secret safe with me. Going to rape and spray. I got a couple numbers of my own. Nah, so turn the curse. Nah, man. It's actually not on my eyes. Now it's different this time. I mean, should a creature so sublime and young really be alive for the gun? And if I don't want to dispense it, she seems almost defenseless. And her eyes are the surprising effect of rendering me restless. That is L Producto, aka LP, trading verses with uh, fellow rapper Cage on a track called Habeas Corpses from uh, LP's second uh, actual solo album, I'll Sleep When You're Dead. What an extraordinary track, Greg. And uh, it's typical of the record, which is something to say because this is a very dense, very long record. We're hearing the gunshots. That's a prevailing sound throughout this entire album. Those are not gunshots on the streets, as so many gangsters, you know, 50 Cent constantly glorifying drug play and, and shootouts. That's gunfire that you may be facing in Iraq, that you may be facing in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. that you may be facing on the street. You're not really sure. This is a world that's being torn apart, and LP is uh, observing it. The production is extraordinary. It matches the subject matter. The subject matter is smart and fascinating, and uh, this is an amazing hip-hop record. It is. We uh, reviewed the Nine Inch Nails record uh, year zero a few weeks ago. In a way, I feel this is like the hip-hop companion to that record. Yeah, especially with Reznor on here. Absolutely. Uh, I think they they share a very similar sensibility. There is no beat that LP has met that he couldn't scuzz up and turn into grime. (laughs) And that's what it's about. It's a very dirty-sounding, very claustrophobic record. He's talked about this as sort of the post-9-11 record. I mean, it's the state of his city. He is a Brooklynite to his core. And he's talking about what is New York like in the wake of 9-11. And it's not a pretty place. Most of these people are in motion. They're in subway trains. They're stuck in traffic. He is in the tradition, Jim, of those megaphone rappers like Chuck D and KRS-One, guys who just seem to be broadcasting the message across you know the world i mean it was like there was a, they were on a 50,000 watt radio station and mm-hmm. their voices just booming out there and he's got those heavy beats behind it this is not an easy listening record as you can tell it's a disturbing there record. aren't those real snappy pop hooks that you're going to get in a lot of commercial rap records but if you're into the greatness of what hip hop was in its golden era, the late 80s New York City scene, when, when bands like KRS-One and Public Enemy and Della Soul were dominating the scene, uh, you're going to get a good dose of it on this record. At the same time, he's this classicist, but he's updating the sound with those electronic collages that, as I said, would fit right in on a Nine Inch Nails record of today. Yeah, you're making it sound retro, and I think it's actually futuristic. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is pointing the way that hip-hop ought to go. It, it is. It, he's, he's done a neat trick. He is a, he's a classicist, you know, because he respects the tradition of hip-hop, and he's fast-forwarding them into a, like a sci-fi future. I'm going to say buy it on this record, but I can see where this record would not be for everybody. I mean, you, you've got to be ready for a, a really intense, challenging record, but I think it's well worth the challenge. No, it's absolutely a buy-it record. I mean, I think if you if you care about hip-hop, you ought to listen to what he's doing. I think if you just care about interesting music. We got a great email last week from a listener said, I never thought I'd listen to a Trent Reznor record, Nine Inch Nails, and you guys convinced me there was something there. So uh, if intriguing soundscapes at all uh, are your thing, you need to own this LP record. Make your own flag. 
Oh, that is Bjork raising her flag and declaring independence on... Uh, it, it's confusing to count, Greg, the number of her solo albums because if you, th- there have been so many that have been completely remixed and issued as, as remixes. I guess this is the sixth album of all new original material or right. maybe it's the eighth or ninth if you count all the others. Anyway, uh, Bjork is coming back to us after a release in 2004 called Medulla, at which point she was uh, not interested in rhythms anymore, although uh, odd electronic rhythms have been a staple of her entire solo career since leaving the proto-alternative rock band The Sugar Cubes. Medulla was all about vocals. Every sound on the record largely was made from vocals, and now she's back and she's loving the rhythms. Although she, she uh, I've read a couple of interviews with her, she wrote all the songs on this album first and then added the rhythms later, so mm-hmm. they sort of sound tacked on. But we have, once again, a harsh electronic soundscape from Bjork that varies significantly from song to song. Uh, she's got a lot of interesting collaborators here. One of them is Anthony Haggerty of Antony and the Johnsons, a guy who sings more like a woman than than Bjork, actually. Timbaland, your hero, uh, (laughs) for whom we have instituted the Timbaland alarm, uh, which is kept next to the Eno buzzer for the number of times you mention him. Uh, He did three tracks on this record. There's some Chinese loot on this record, okay? Uh, There's everything, basically, and the kitchen sink on this new album from Bjork. Let's hear a track from it. We'll see what we think in a minute. We're going to play the song Earth Intruders from Bjork's new album. It's called Volta on Sound Opinions. Intruders from Bjork, a new album called Volta. That is a collaboration with Timberland. Yes, Jim, I am enamored with Timberland, even though I hated his solo record that he just came out with. That, I think, is a pretty A-plus work from Timberland. Uh, Bjork is calling down an alien invasion. (laughs) (laughs) She wants a shower of goodness that will end up grinding the skeptics into the soil. Basically, kind of a state-of-the-world message from Bjork, uh, the Icelandic pixie. Uh, She's she's a piece of work. Um, She... (laughs) We've kind of uh, misrepresented this album in a way, Jim, because we've played two of the harsher, more up-tempo tracks. There's actually uh, quite a bit of kind of more fragile, beautiful singing on this record. Uh, An example of it would be a song like I See Who You Are, which she is singing, I think, to her youngest child. Hear a little bit of that, and you get a sense of the fragility that also exists on this record. I see. Who you are 
this record is all over the map. It's frustrating, Jim, in a lot of ways to me because I think uh, there's a kernel of a great record here. There's some spectacular moments on here, and there's some abysmal moments on here, sometimes within the same song. It's a very harsh-sounding record in a lot of ways, and an intentionally provocative record. I think she's very upset with the way things are going in the world right now. This is one of the most political records she's made. She's not, she's not been overt on political statements in the past, but it's all over this record, but at the same time, not being very coherent about it. She hasn't put together a beginning-to-end classic record. There's some brilliant, brilliant stuff on this record, but I find it frustrating because I think she's a great talent who's made sort of a... Uh, uh, a hopscotch kind of record. Some great stuff and some not so great stuff. Well, I'm not hearing the brilliance. I'm hearing the incoherence for sure. You know, remember when Bjork wore the swan dress to yeah, uh, yeah. one of the awards? That you was know, one of the frustrating It's like, it's Bjork like let moments. me show you, I, I'm so eccentric and weird. And, 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 you know, the temptation is to say that Bjork has lost the plot and, and, you know, she's drifted off into the art experimental ether. That's not what's happening. She's intentionally trying to have us look at her and say, boy, ain't she weird. I ain't buying it. I remember when Bjork wrote songs. Do you remember Army of Me? Do you remember It's Oh So Quiet? This woman has an unconventional voice, and she has an interesting ear when she listens to pop music. Mm-hmm. Now, when she's jumping up and down saying, look how quirky I am, look how artsy I am, I, I hate this record. It's cold and alienating. Really? And gives the listener nothing to grab onto. I think it's pretentious. I think it's dreadful. You know, I, I think that the, the, what the studio has enabled people to do, uh, people like LP, that's really inventive, taking a laptop and using this computer technology or what Battles was doing, like I said earlier, whereas Bjork is just, you know, she's she's aiming for that creativity and, and it's, I she's not, I, I hate this record. So, so the ballads... I don't like, I can never imagine listening to this again for fun, no. ever. So for me, this is a, not only a trash it record, it's a give it away and don't even be in the same neighborhood well, as it record. Well, I'm in the burn it category, Jim. There's three or four songs on here that I do want to hear again. Unfortunately, that's not a full album's worth. It's got to be a, a burn it for me. Well, we only really split on the Feist and the Bjork. The rest of the show, we recommended a lot of great buy it yeah, music, absolutely. huh? Absolutely. What do we have next week, Greg? Next week, Jim, we are donning the stethoscopes. The rock doctors are back in the house. We're going to help some ailing listener rejuvenate their musical life. All right, Greg, as always, Sound Opinions is produced by Todd Bachman, Matt Spiegel, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And our executive producer and fearless leader is Tori Southside Malatia, who has also, I uh, hear, been known to dress as a swan on occasion. <laughs> Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, I'm Scott from Minnesota. I just got done waiting in a long line in my car for an hour and uh, was just absolutely amazed at hearing Tom Murillo and the kind of music he's playing. One, two, three, four. makes it all worthwhile being a member and you pass the hour by very very fast for me i appreciate it thank you on the streets of new york the cabs don't stop on the street where i live they called the cops found a noose in my garage now how about that so tonight i'm in the bushes with a baseball bat because i'm a 
Hi, this is Mike from Elmhurst. Now, I have nothing but the utmost respect for Tom Morello. As a musician myself, I understand, you know, I mean, the guy's at the top of his game. And I respect what any artist wishes to do. You know, it was fine with me when Metallica cut their hair. It was fine with me when they sold out. But at a certain point, <laughs> you've really got to listen to some other people, maybe. You've got to ask some questions. And you've got to find out if what you're doing is actually any good. I, I do feel kind of bad saying this, but Tom, the Night Watchman is really no good. You need to go back to your day job. Pick up that electric guitar, make those insane noises, and uh, embrace the rage against the machine. Embrace it. Hi, my name is Chris, calling from Chicago. I think uh, your comments on Avril Lavigne were uh, pretty ridiculous. If you're looking for anything other than teenage angst pop from her, I think you're going to be disappointed um, now and forever. So, thanks for the show, Glenn. Hi, this is Jay from St. Louis. Listen, guys, I want to tell you I love the show and listen to the podcast religiously. I'm a huge music fan and also a mom of a tween girl, so I could really relate to your conversation about the new Avril CD. I asked myself the same questions as a parent, and inevitably we bought the CD as we did their, her two previous CDs, but I don't think it's the best damn thing. But guys, I've got a criticism. My blog mate, who's also a female music lover, was incensed by the latest Gwen Stefani review that you did. Not because she didn't think the music was mediocre at best, but because your opinion, in your opinion, uh, Gwen needs to change the subject matter of her music because she's a 30-something mom who's married. You seem I know you've been waiting, but I've been up making babies and not the shit making donuts and pastries. And you kind of made some of the same comments about Avril. She's a married woman now, blah, blah, blah. Well, my question is, would you turn the same critical eye to a male performer? Because I'm sensing a double standard. Thanks, guys. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.